the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When you encounter God, it always marks a new beginning. If you truly encounter God, you don't walk away the same. No, you walk away a different person because you've encountered one who changes us. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. I begin with the question, have you ever been passed over for something? Most of us can remember times in our life where that has occurred. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. For example, if there was a girl or a boy that you really liked and that you were passed over, well, that's bad. But if there's some punishment that you deserved, and yet your parents, as I sometimes have done, choose to give grace and you were passed over, why then that is good. And maybe there was a time in your life where you were going a little bit above the speed limit. And yet the policeman did not stop you and give you a ticket. That's a good thing. But then some of us can remember that time when we were in P.E., physical education, as a child. And the coach in the gym lined you up into two teams and picked two captains and said, now pick your team. And you didn't get picked. You were passed over. Still seeing a counselor about that. That's a, a bad thing. Being passed over can be good or bad. I'm reminded of the old man. No offense, but he was 85 years old. He wanted to celebrate life. So he went out and he bought himself a new Corvette. And he got into his Corvette, and he began to just speed down the road. He was up from zero to 60 in just a few seconds, but he kept climbing. 75, 85, just a few seconds later, he was at 100 miles an hour, just going down the interstate. And as he looked in his rearview mirror, he saw the blue lights of a state trooper. He thought, I'm 85 years old. What in the world am I going to do? And he just put the pedal to the metal. I mean, he just took 110 miles an hour. And then he thought, what am I thinking? So he pulled over as he got to the side. That state trooper walked up to his car. He had rolled down the window. He said, sir, do you know you were speeding? Well, yes, yes, officer, I do. He said, well, here's the deal. I've got 30 minutes left on my shift. It's Friday afternoon. If you can give me a good reason for your speeding that I've never heard before, then I won't give you a ticket and we can both go home. That old man, he didn't miss a beat. He said, officer, many years ago, my wife ran off with a state trooper. And when I saw those blue lights, I was scared to death he was bringing her back. 
<laughs> the, the officer just tipped his hat and he said, you have a good afternoon, sir. Sometimes it's a good thing to be passed over. As Christ followers, we understand that we are able to be passed over from the judgment of God. That's what Jesus does for us. That's what we celebrate at Easter when we look to the cross and the burial and the resurrection. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are passed over. We're grateful to be passed over. It is a good thing. And today, we're going to look at the passage of Scripture that sets that up. In fact, I believe the passage of Scripture that we're going to examine today is one of the most important passages of Scripture in the Bible because it illustrates that which Jesus would do for us as described in the New Testament of the Scriptures. It sets the stage for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So everything after this in the Bible is kind of based on what takes place here. It establishes God's Passover. We find that in Exodus chapter 12. But before we read this passage, I just want to tell you the one thing I want you to walk away with today. If you get this one thing, I, I believe it'll revolutionize the way you look at life and it will help you go forward in life. Here it is. We are stained by sin. That's all of us. We're stained by sin, but we're marked by grace through the blood of Jesus. And it's God's grace received through faith that frees us up. To live for his glory. Let me say that one more time because that's the one thing I want you to get today. We're stained by sin, but we're marked by grace through the blood of Jesus. And it's God's grace received through faith that frees us up to live the life God wants us to live for his glory. So I want us to just pause and pray. And let's ask God to give us the faith today to receive from him what we need to receive so that he can continue to give us what we don't have, teaching us those things we don't know, making us men and women we've not yet become for his glory as a result of his marking on our life. Let's pray together. Father, we have worshiped you. And so now in the name of Jesus, we come prepared to read your word aloud, to learn from what you've given us in the scriptures. We know this is you speaking to us. So may it not fall on deaf ears. May it not fall on blind eyes. May we receive you with openness in our heart and mind, willing to be changed, willing to encounter you. Lord, we thank you for the scriptures. Lord, these men, these women of God that were used by you through the ages, but today we understand that you want to use us for your glory. So, Lord, I pray that even for me, that you would give me the words to say and the thoughts to think. That my lips, my attitude, everything about me might be pleasing to you. Because in this moment, what we're asking, God, is that you shake eternity. That someone who hears these words will understand that need for your grace. That need to be marked. And we'll experience salvation. And that for each of us who know you, we would appreciate what you've done for us in a greater light today. So we thank you for this, even as we pray this, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Exodus chapter 12. Well, how did we get here? 
The Bible tells us at the end of the book of Genesis that God has established Joseph, who was a prisoner, as the prime minister in Egypt. He was a very, very powerful man. And so his family ended up moving to Egypt, and he provided for them. Seventy people of the family of Joseph. But those 70 grew. As generations passed, the Bible tells us in the first chapter of Exodus that there arose a king who did not know Joseph. By that time, there were about 2 million, maybe 3 million Israelites in Egypt. They had become prosperous. They had become popular. They had become powerful. And the Pharaoh didn't like that. So he enslaved them. But God had a plan to deliver his people. And God had a man to establish his plan. And I would just remind you that that's the way God still works today. God uses people to accomplish what he wants us to do. God saves us to send us. He delivers us so that we can be developed, so that we can discover the destiny that he has prepared for us. God saves us to send us. But Pharaoh's stubborn. He's unwilling to let the children of Israel go when God sends Moses his way. You remember what Moses said time and time and time again, let my people go. In fact, God sent 10 plagues on the land of Egypt. We went through those last week. Let me remind you of what they were. Number one, there was blood in the Nile, the Nile River. Number two, there were frogs. Number three, there were gnats. Number four, there were swarms of insects or flies. Number five, there was diseased livestock, the camels, the horses, the cows. Number six, there were boils, skin sores. Number seven, there was hell from the sky. Eight, there was locusts. Nine, there was darkness. God in Genesis reveals that he is the creator of all that is. In Exodus, he reminds us that he's still in control of all of creation. That's who God is. And then we come to this 10th plague. It's called the death of the firstborn. And from this point on, for the rest of scripture, God is making it crystal clear that if you want to have a relationship with him, it is based on the blood of an innocent life. In order for you to have a relationship with God, there has to be death. Remember the one thing we're learning today? We're stained by sin, but we're marked by grace through the blood of Jesus. And it's God's grace received through faith that frees us up to live for his glory. Like Moses, like the children of Israel, God wants to deliver us. He wants to develop us. He's designed for us a destiny. But if we're to experience that destiny, if we're to encounter God's best in our life, we must live by faith and we must receive that gift that God's made for us on the cross of Calvary. Exodus chapter 12, let's begin reading in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Now this is significant, so we need to stop right there. When you encounter God, it always marks a new beginning. If you truly encounter God, you don't walk away the same. When you come to church, if you've encountered a living God, you don't leave that experience on the seat like a crumpled up bulletin. No, you walk away a different person because you've encountered one who changes us. 
And so what God is saying to Moses to then say to the children of Israel is, you let them know this is a new time. This is a new day. This, I'm about to do a new thing. They are beginning again. And so literally, the calendar changes. And did you know God did that again? Did you know that today, all of the world still operates on a calendar that's based around the life of Jesus Christ. And God does that in our individual lives. When you were living your life going your way and you have that moment in time, whether it was in Sunday school or whether it was at vacation Bible school or whether it was in a church service or revival service or a youth camp or, or whether like me, it was in the backyard of your home where you just kneeled down knowing that you're convicted of your sin and you need to be saved from your sin. And so you entrust your life to Jesus Christ. When you turn around, that's a new beginning. That's why the Bible calls it being born again. It's a fresh start. And that's what God is saying needs to happen for the children of Israel. We know in the New Testament, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. All the old things have passed away. All things are new. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. How about say this today? Just say, I want to be new. Say that. Now say it again like you mean it. Say, I want to be new. Let's keep reading. To all the congregation of Israel... On the tenth day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for the household. Can you imagine bringing that sweet, perfect, spotless lamb home to your family? And for four days, just letting them get to know that lamb, letting them experience the interaction with that precious animal. And then four days later, letting them watch. As you take the life of that lamb, that's the instruction that God gives. Look at the next verse. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and the lentil on the houses in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roast it on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw. No problem there for me or boiled in water but roasted its head with its legs and its inner part. God's giving very specific design for what we would then be known as the Passover meal. Next verse. And, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. You know what he's saying? He's saying, as you eat this, get ready. Because after you eat this, it's going to be time to go. And if you're going to be passed over, you better live ready for when it's time to go. <laughs> this morning, 
about 5 a.m., I, I was reading in God's word, and, and it took me to Matthew 24. And you know what it says in Matthew 24? As I was hearing the thunder and the lightning in our sky, it says like a flash of lightning, he'll come. Jesus is coming again. And the whole point of this story is to begin a story that leads us to the cross. And after the cross, when Jesus is dead, when he's buried, when he rises again, you know what we discover? We discover that that's not the end. Not only did he raise to new life, he will ascend to heaven and he promises he's coming back. And he tells those who follow him, listen, you better be ready. You better live in a way that you're ready. For I'll pass through the land of Egypt that night. I'll strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. He's been saying that for a while now, right? I am the one who was, the one who is, the one who's going to be here forever. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. Now that's significant. Because when we think about the Passover, and as you understand that in a few moments, it's going to be the sign for that angel of death, right? So the blood's a sign for God, but here he says the blood is a sign for you. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. No plague will, will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. And this day shall be for you a memorial day. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generation, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. This is the word of God. May God add his blessings to his perfect word. And and may he implant that and hide that in our heart. Now remember our one thing. Let's look at it again. We are stained by sin. We're stained by sin, but we're marked by grace through the blood of Jesus. It's God's grace received through faith that frees us up to live for his glory. But it all begins with this truth. We're stained by sin. I want you to say something with me. Say, I am stained by sin. Let's go. I am stained by sin. That's the truth. And this passage teaches us why that's so significant. That's kind of the first sub thing I want you to see. Today, I want you to learn that when I choose my way, Instead of God's way, I'm always choosing sin. Now, the Bible says that we have this thing called a nature of sin. That nature of sin was given to us because of the sin of our great-grandparents. You might remember them, Adam and Eve. When they sinned in the Garden of Eden... All of humanity since that point has been born with this nature, this propensity, this natural desire to sin. It's just who we are. We're not sinners just because we commit sin. We're sinners because that's who we are. But because of who we are, we commit sin. We do things that God doesn't want us to do. It's not his way. And we don't do things that he wants us to do. It's not his way. And anytime we choose our way over God's way, it is sin. And this passage is speaking about sin. We know this because it talks about God executing his judgment. And why would God have to execute judgment if there were no sin? By the time we're reading this, 
We've got the New Testament. The New Testament teaches us in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. We've missed God's mark. We're not doing it his way. All of us are sinners. I grew up listening to the Dr. Pepper theme song. I still love Dr. Pepper, but I prefer Diet Dr. Pepper now. But some of you remember it said, I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper, we're a pepper. Wouldn't you like to? Yeah, you know that song too. Well, the Bible says that I'm a sinner, he's a sinner, she's a sinner. Sorry, we're all sinners. We don't like it that we're sinners, but that is who we are. We're sinners by nature, we're sinners by choice. In this passage, we see three groups of sinners. We see the Pharaoh. Now, it's easy to understand he's a sinner because we keep getting told he's hardened his heart to God. And some of you actually have something in common with the Pharaoh. You've come into church or you're watching today. And yet you've hardened your heart. You really have no intent of responding to God's way because you're stuck in your way and that's sin. Then we see the Egyptians. And the Egyptians, we know they're sinners because they have thousands of gods with the little g. And so they've rejected God, the one true God, and they're following after their own way. But in this passage, we see that God's chosen people. They're sinners too. Just like those of us who might come to church and we might have a relationship with Christ, but we're still sinners. The chosen people were sinners, and we know that because they rejected the words of Moses. They were obstinate. Uh, They were also idolatrous. Now, as we continue to watch the story of the children of Israel, we see that. While Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, what are the children of Israel doing? They're building a false god. And in Joshua, in chapter 24, it talks about that. It says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness, put away the gods your father served beyond the river and in Egypt. So the children of Israel, they were eat up with sin. And here's what the Bible teaches. Sin is costly. Sin always costs you more than you want to pay. It always takes you further than you want to go. And it always keeps you longer than you want to stay. Sin's so costly, it costs life. I told you Romans 3.23, all of us are sinners. Romans 6.23 says the wages, the payment, the cost for sin is what? It's death. If sin is going to be judged, and remember, God is executing judgment here in Exodus chapter 12. If sin is going to be judged, the only righteous judgment is death. And that's going to bring us to our second truth, the second sub-point. So remember our main thing, right? We're stained by sin, but we're marked by grace through the blood of Jesus, and it's God's grace received through faith that frees us up to live for his glory. We're marked by grace. I want you to say this. Say, I've been marked. Say that. There's an interesting thing that happens. If you look back in chapter 11, Moses is saying to Pharaoh, hey, you're going to see that the children of Israel, those you've enslaved, you're going to see that they are distinct as a people. And it's a word that literally means marked. So God has always been in the habit of marking his people. He wants us to look different. That's why it's so significant for the church that we don't just blend into the world, but that we stand out. That's what it means to be holy. You're, you're set apart. You're different than. God is different from us because he is holy. As we strive for holiness, we are different from the world. That's why as I battle with sin, battle doing things my way, I have to turn 
and do things his way. How does God mark us? Listen to this truth. Someone has to die as a result of my sin. It's either going to be me or my substitute. And what we learn here in Exodus 12 is that God's way has always been to substitute the death of something else so that you don't have to experience his punishment. Now, why? Why would God do that? Because God loves you. I want you to hear that today. God could never love you more than he loves you today. And he will never, ever, no, not ever love you less. In his mercy, by his grace, God provides a substitute for our sin. He does that for us and he did that for the Israelites. If they wanted to be passed over in this judgment where every firstborn being, not just humans, even the firstborn animals, he says, are going to die on this night. If they want to pass over and not experience that death, the only way to do that is through the substitute of a lamb. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.